please pray with me. Great God, may the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight because you and you only, God, are our strength and our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, uh, this is the Sunday that we have chosen to celebrate that uh, summer's over and school starts again. Now, I know some summer's already been over for some people for a while. I know some people started school last week, um, but this is our first Sunday back officially, so I want to share with you all some of the pictures from um, our family vacation this summer. We went west, and we experienced seven national parks and monuments, and so I want to just share that a little bit of that with you. First off, we went to the Petrified Forest National Park. And I have an image. There's the Petrified Forest National Park. Then from there, we went to the Walnut Canyon National Monument. And these people got in front of my camera, so you can't really see it. It's a pretty canyon. And I got, actually, they're not just people. They're my family. And, and I got my kid's picture, or kid's permission to show this slide as I did the next one, because number three and our stop was Sunset Crater National Monument, um, where you can experience an actual lava flow. It's not still flowing, because you really don't want to experience that. Number four, this was the, the reason behind our trip in the first place. We went to the Grand Canyon National Park and took this picture uh, just before sunset the night we got there. Number five, we went to Cedar Breaks National Monument in Utah. And then number six, on our way home, we went to Mesa Verde National Park. Oh, I'm sorry. How could I forget this one? Mount Zion National Park in southern Utah also. Uh, this is a picture we took as we uh, went up the Narrows. And then finally, Mesa Verde National Park in southwestern Colorado before we came back home. Now, um, this might not surprise some of you. I also got kids' permission to share this with you. After this kind of dad victory vacation, I would not be surprised if, depending on when you ask my kids or which of my kids you ask, their favorite experience was the one place we stayed where there was a Wii. And they got to play the Wii quite a bit. Don't hate them for that. Don't lament this generation, please. Because actually the message for today is about how we do that, how we label others. And I want to start with a different version. Um, hold the slide for a minute, but um, I ask you, no, you can go to the next one, to, to the black slide. Um, I want to hold you to hold your judgment on people that, uh, that might think differently than you. I mean, how could somebody experience Zion National Park and prefer a we? I don't know. It's a mystery to me but we're not gonna hate on them. And here's one that I ask for your grace on that because um, one of the stops we were, while Rachel and I were gone, we were asked, of course, where we were from. We said Dallas-Fort Worth. And of course, this person said, oh, so you're Cowboys fans? I gotta tell you, I have tried hard to become a Cowboys fan. I have. However, here's what's made it difficult. When I first discovered there was such a thing as football, when we moved back from overseas, um, and I was, uh, uh, in going in, I was in fourth grade, and I learned about football, and we moved from overseas where I knew nothing to the Washington, D.C. area. And it just happened to be the year the Redskins were going to a Super Bowl. So, so 
I'm a Redskins fan, but, but to be fair, we moved away from there before I was barely, before I was even in high school, and we moved to Houston just in time for the Oilers to draft Earl Campbell. So hiss again, whoever's hissing. <laughs> because I know for some of you, this next slide shows your world, okay? You got Cowboy fans in the center. You got fans of however many other teams there are in the NFL, and then, at least as far as your hatred towards me, then there's Redskins fans out here. For some of our people, they experience it, it's the Eagles fans out here. For Matt Kelleher, I almost put just that there were Patriots fans out here, because I know Matt, Matt loves to love the Patriots. So I have tried to become a Cowboys fan. I'm still trying. I tend to root for the Cowboys. But, but this way of doing the world, as far as foot, professional football teams, I don't quite get. Here's another one I don't quite get. How many native Texans do we have in the room? Okay. So some of you may see the world like this. There's native Texans in the center. There is, because I've seen your bumper stickers, people who got here as fast as they could. And then there's everybody else. And I know, um, anybody willing to admit that when you think of that, everybody else, that's the, that includes people who aren't here, but it also includes people who are here but aren't the got here as fast as I could people. So the thing I want you to see is that we have this tendency, whether it's with professional football or college football, or fill in the blank on whichever sport, or wherever you might be from, we have this tendency to put people in two groups. Basically, there's us, and there's them. And for, for some of you more enlightened people, you might say, oh no, there's some people in the middle here. And so, uh, I'm not sure if this red expanse is how far you want the thems to stay from the us's, or if this is the people in the middle that you're moderately okay with. But we use all kinds of different categories, and I, want, I, I, I invite you to do some serious, honest-with-yourself work on this pattern. In fact, I've, I've got a blank without. I want to invite you to consider, just within yourself or with people that you really love and trust, what kind of groups do you do that with? Because we all do. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's not to the point of I hate those people on the outside. Sometimes it's just people that you don't want anything to do with. Sometimes it's, it could be as simple as accents. Man, if they don't sound like they're from here, I don't want anything to do with them. Um, thankfully, I've picked up enough of a Texas accent that I can talk Texan. But not everybody has. And I will admit, that, and I know I'm not the only one here, sometimes if I get a customer service um, representative on the phone and they sound like they're clearly not from here, sometimes I don't want much to do with them. So how do you define your us's and your them's? We all do this. I invite you with honesty with, between you and God to identify how you define your us's and thems. Some of us still, when we're not trying, hopefully, some of us still define us as and thems by the color of our skin 
or the color of our hair or the color of, I, I don't know what categories you use, what kind of car you drive, what kind of team you root for. I, I heard a story just this last week that this, this woman was talking about how she had worked so hard to work herself into the middle class and she, she got an office job and she was celebrating all that she had done and all that she had learned. And she mentioned that she bought this pair of shoes that she thought would be great. And it was something that when she was growing up, she couldn't have imagined until later one afternoon, she heard some other people in the office talking about how that style of shoes is just not appropriate for a professional setting like this office. Because we all divide who's us and who's them. And what I want you to do is not think about how all those other people divide their us's and them's and it's just not fair. Forget that for today. Think about and get honest with God and yourself about how you divide your us's and your them's. Because if we want to learn to love where we are, if we want to get into the art of neighboring, then we have to become good neighbors. And not all of our neighbors fit into the categories we want them to fit in. And if we're followers of Jesus, we don't get to draw those limits. This is exactly what the story that Cindy read for you on incredibly short notice. So when you see Cindy, thank her for reading as our liturgist on 10 minutes notice, 15. So um, the story starts with a legal expert coming to test Jesus. So he's trying to challenge Jesus. So you know you ask a different kind of question to somebody when you're challenging them than when, you're on, when you understand them as being on your side. And so he challenged him. He says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And you and I know the obvious answer that every follower of Jesus knows to the question, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life is nothing. Jesus did it. Next question. But Jesus knew that wasn't his point. So Jesus said, well, how do you read the law? We, we got a law. The, the guy was Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. We got a law. We shared together 613 commands in, in the Hebrew Bible. How do you read the law? The man said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. Deuteronomy 6, Leviticus 19. And Jesus said, you're right. Do this, and you'll live. So it's really interesting that this happens this way in, the, in Luke's gospel because in Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel, it's Jesus that says that these are the two greatest commandments. But in Luke, it's this other guy who's challenging Jesus that says these are the two greatest commandments. So I want you to know that Jesus was not this revolutionary in reading the Hebrew Bible of his day in saying the greatest commandment is love God and the second is love your neighbor. Jesus was in line with a majority of Jewish teaching at the time. So they had this in common. This guy says, love God, love your neighbor. Jesus says, great, do that. But remember, this guy's there to test Jesus. He's trying to catch him in a, in a mistake or to get him to say something wrong. And so he says, okay, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And I imagine he said it with even more attitude than that. So imagine as much attitude in the question as you want. Okay, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus tells him this story. Now here's where it gets really, really interesting because we, most of us know this story, right? A guy is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he's beaten and robbed and left for dead. For some reason, I have, in my imagination, he's left, he rolls off into the ditch. It's not exactly in the story. So he's on the side of the road, left for dead. And a priest comes by and sees him and he walks, cuts a really wide berth and walks on the other side of the road. And then a Levite, Luke tells us, a priest and then a Levite, and he walks by wide side of the road. 
Now, what's going on here? Um, some of us as Christians want to read this. Um, we have a habit. We have a tradition in the Christian church to sometimes read the Gospels as anti-Semitically as possible. That's not what's going on here. So he's not criticizing the priest and the Levite. He's also not saying, look at these fine religious folks and they can't help a guy who's dying. What's wrong with them? He's also, to be fair, not, not saying, well, you know, the priest and the Levite, they have religious responsibilities. And if they go and touch this guy and he ends up dead or he's just bleeding and they get blood on their hands, then they're ritually unclean. And then they can't perform their priestly functions for a matter of weeks. So they were just observing the religious law because the religious law for God's people always puts a wounded or injured or dying person ahead of a prescriptive how often you have to wash your hands kind of thing. So it's not the religious law, and he's not calling out these religious experts. What he's doing, all the Jewish people listening to Jesus, which would have been almost everybody, if not everybody listening to Jesus, they had this way of understanding the Old Testament law. And it had this way of, of talking about the community of God's people, and it started with the priests, the sons of Aaron, all the sons of Aaron would be priests, and they had these very particular uh, requirements and expectations and benefits given to the priests. The next tier of religious responsibility was the Levites. So all the children of Aaron were priests. All the children of Levi, which includes Aaron and Aaron's children, would be Levites. And so it was like the second tier religious people of the Jewish culture. So throughout the Bible, when they were telling stories in this way, they would say priests and Levites and Israelites. Because among God's people, there were the religious professionals, the religious class, and then there was all God's people. Because they were all called, from Exodus chapter 19, if you remember this, God was going to make of all these people a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So the way the story was often told, it was priests and Levites and Israelites. Okay, but the way Jesus tells the story in Luke chapter 10 is he goes, there's a priest and there was a Levite. And then he says, there was a Samaritan. So it looked like this kind of on the graph. See, in the, in the understanding of everybody that was listening to this story, the priests and the Levites and the Israelites are all part of this inner circle. But when Jesus is telling the story, he says a priest comes by and passes by. Then a Levite comes by, and he goes on the other side. And they were all expecting him to say, and then an Israelite. And they probably were going to hear him say, and this Israelite comes by, and he takes care of the guy. Yeah, go Israelite, boo, priests and Levites. But Jesus didn't. Jesus skipped the Israelite and went straight to the Samaritan. And in the ears of everybody who was listening to Jesus tell this story, Samaritans were not only part of this list, there was this vast gulf between all the us's that include the priests and the Levites and the Israelites and the thems of the Samaritans. Now we'll talk more about that next week because next week the, the subtopic under love where you are, the art of neighboring is, have you met my neighbor? Right, some of you get that because you know some of your neighbors. So, the way Jesus tells the story is this Samaritan sees the man and he goes to him and he bandages him and he takes him to an inn and he gives two days of his wages, which in today's terms would be a minimum of $400. 
if you're making at least a living wage, and says, take care of this guy until I get back. If I owe you anything else, I'll pay you then. And then Jesus looks back to this guy that's challenging him and says, so which one was a neighbor to the man who was in need? And the man couldn't even bring himself to save the Samaritan. He says, the one who showed him care. And Jesus says, go and do likewise, which takes us back to the blank screen, which is just, um, who? Who do you put in here? But even more important today, I think, is that we get honest with ourselves and with God about who we send way out here. Because I think the one screen summary of the Good Samaritan story is the next slide. The cross, it covers the middle, but extends out to all these other areas that you and I might not want to extend. And I get it, maybe, maybe you've got some people out in this blue, way far away from you, and you're ultra them because they have put you out there. But we're followers of Jesus. It's our responsibility to break down the barriers between any groups of us's and them's that we encounter, especially our own. Because if you and I got these rigid walls about who we think is us and who we think is them, we got no business going and talking to somebody else about who, about theming somebody else. We have to start with our own. So the cross, next slide, leads us out from wherever our center is, wherever your center is, out of that center. Because as followers of Jesus, it is our responsibility not to set these boundaries about who we think is us and who we think is them. I mean, one way to put Jesus' whole work was that Jesus broke down the barrier between all of fallen sinful humanity and God. And we celebrate that Jesus has broken down that barrier. And if we celebrate Jesus breaking down this barrier, who are we to create or live with other barriers? So who is your neighbor? And I know it's hard because uh, brain science has even discovered this recently, that, that if we see somebody in pain who we think of as like us, it lights up a different part of our brain so we care about that in a different way than if we see somebody in the same circumstances who we think of as not like us. We are wired to care more about people who we think are like us. So how do we care about people who we think are like us and still follow Jesus? We expand the limits of who we think are like us. And I don't know if this will help you do this, but I've got, uh, it, it might be hashtagable. I know it's tweetable because it's way under 140 characters. I've got this that I've been working on myself because like you, I've got some us's and them things going on in me that I have to tear down if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. And it goes like this. Everyone I see is somebody like me. Everyone you see is somebody like you. But if we say it in first person, then it rhymes. Everyone I see is somebody like me. You cannot find a human being with whom you have nothing in common. Please stop trying. Pray with me. 
God, we are grateful that Jesus takes questions from people who are trying to challenge him and to catch him in something wrong. And we're grateful, God, that Jesus takes those questions and welcomes people that ask him questions to try to trap him. And he takes their questions and turns them around and welcomes them into his presence and his company. We're grateful, God, for all the ways that in Jesus you have broken down the barriers that would keep us from knowing your love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. God, give us the courage to identify the barriers that we hold up against ourselves and other people so that we can learn to be people's neighbors. In Jesus' name we ask this, God. Amen.